welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name is Armando, aka Hot Take Mondo, and I'm joined by my friend Reese, the Reese incarnate Bach Lesnar. And today we're going to talk about the second preseason game for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, playing the Arizona Cardinals, a really great game. So we're going to break that down a little bit, and then we're going to talk about maybe a not-so-special or not-so-great thing. It's the Chris Jones situation as we ramp up uh, to Week 1. Uh, we don't know that we don't know where Chris Jones is, like where in the world is Carmen San Diego, where in the world is Chris Jones uh, and kind of the implications for Kansas City. But before we do that, Reese, how's it going? Haven't seen a little bit. How uh, what have you been doing last week? Give me give me an update on the house. Give me everything, dude. You know. It's so funny. Like in this entire house renovation, I keep accumulating different stories. You know, just like crazy things that you don't think would happen until you're a homeowner and it happens to you. Dead bodies in the attic, yeah. dead bodies in the Yeah, I hope eaten by snakes. I, I hope not cuz I got to crawl up there and install some well lights later on, so like I'd rather that not be the case. But uh Happy Halloween. Speaking of things that are uh, stashed in the walls, do you want to hear a little bit of story? I feel like, can I, can I have like a oh, Reese's no. tool time? So it's like story once a week you for the had, next like month. You had some pirate booty. Well, not quite. Yes, I'm ready for tool time, but I was getting ready for like, yes, a pirate's booty, but I guess not. Continue. Okay. This is the, this is going to, what we're going to call the tale of the unsynchronized spigot. So. As oh I think I've mentioned before, we're completely gutting the hallway bathroom, like the public bathroom. It's going to be the nicest bathroom in the house. The only problem is it was the least nice bathroom when we moved into this house, and we knew that. So just like an onion, there's like some, we knew there was some mold by the bathroom and some tile had peeled away from the wall. So we, we peel that back, and suddenly, you know, next thing you know, we're peeling this back. We're peeling, we're down to the studs. There's a giant hole into the attic right now currently, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Long story short, we had a dumpster. This is like a few weeks ago. We had a dumpster. And in order to get the sink removed, we had to turn the water off, obviously. Now, when we went under there to turn off the water, it turns out there was no shutoff valve to the sink. And the only way to turn off the water was to turn off the master water, like out in the garage to the whole house. So there was no water in the house. Father-in-law says we have the to-do list, and he's like, go up to Ace Hardware, get these parts, and you need to get a quarter-turn shutoff valve for under your sink. And I'm like, yeah, no problem, I can do that. So I took a look at it. Me being a complete novice, I'm like, that looks like an half-inch to me. So I go up to Ace Hardware, I get a half-inch quarter-turn shutoff valve, and I come back way too big. My father-in-law's like, man, he's like, I could have told you that wasn't half-inch. He's like, you want a three-eighths-inch. He's like, that's the next smallest size. Go get a three-inch quarter-turn shutoff valve. So I drive back up to Ace Hardware, shout out Ace, and I go, and I come back with that 3 8 inch quarter turn shutoff valve for my sink. So I take it out of the packaging, I'm like, oh yeah, this is definitely the size, definitely the size. Bend over, place it on top of the threads of the spigot, and I turn, but it's not gripping anything. And I'm like, this is so weird, I'm like, this, this looks exactly right. I can feel the threads like kind of kissing each other. It goes down. I'm like, why is this not gripping anything? So I called my father-in-law to have him try it out, see if he could get it to work. Lo and behold, he couldn't. And he goes, that is bizarre. He's like, these threads aren't stripped. He's like, but it's not catching anything. And I'm like, I can go back to Ace and see if they have a smaller one. And he goes, nah, three-eighths inch is like the smallest standard size 
in the United States. So I go back up to Ace Hardware and I take it to like the helpful person desk. And I said, hey, can you identify the size that I need? And I took like the cable, like the, the, the pipe off of the spigot. So I'm like, can you identify what size thread I need for this? And they have this pegboard full of like every different thread size you can think of. And he's trying, he's trying, he's trying, he's trying. And he can't figure out which one it is, right? He goes, that's really bizarre. So he calls over some help. And the guy he calls over is this older dude that smells like talcum powder. So I'm like, this this is like handyman grandpa. I'm like, he's going to be able to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> so he takes me over to the plumbing section where I was earlier. And he's looking, he's looking, he's looking. And he goes, he said, three eighths was too big. And I said, yeah. And he's like, well, he's like, there are quarter inch quarter turn shutoff valves. He said, but like. They're super small. He's like you. Those are things for like uh, like refrigerators that have the, the the water and ice machine built into them. So I'm like, okay. And he showed it to me. And I'm like, no, that is way too small for sure. So he goes, man, I'm 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 sorry, I can't help you out. I said that's so weird. So I go back into my car, I sit down, and I'm wondering. I'm like, what possibly could be the reason for why this is too big and it's not fitting? So Armando. My house was built in 1977. Do you know who was president of the United States in 1977? Hmm. Donald Donald Trump Jr. Jr. That that would be like way in the future. That'd be like 2077. Oh shoot. 1977, sorry. the president of the United States was Jimmy Carter. Now, do you know what Jimmy Carter infamously tried to implement in the United States? Uh, yes, but not uh, applicable to this subject. Uh, what, what did he try to apply? Um, I don't know. Like, I guess Jimmy Carter was one of the implementations of like drug bans and like heroin stuff, but not quite. Probably true, but not what I'm looking for. In 1975, <laughs> Jimmy Carter passed the Metric Conversion Act. Considering my house was built in 1977. And a three-eighths inch spigot was too big just by a hair on this valve. The reason I can't find the correct valve is that when this house was constructed, some of the parts are metric parts. Oh, God. So I called my dad with that theory because my dad's British. He knows the metric <laughs> system inside and out. And I run him through the exact same questionnaire sure. I just ran through you. I say, can you tell me why a three-eighths is too big? And he goes, I can't. And I said, do you know about Jimmy Carter? And I go, he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, do you know what he tried to do? And he goes, implement the metric system. And I said, and three-eighths is? And he goes, oh, my gosh. He's like, three-eighths inch is like that much bigger than 11 millimeters. He's like, that is an 11 wow. millimeter thread you're dealing with. Of course, you can't find anything oh, for it. Oh, how unlucky. So I felt just like the biggest Sherlock Holmes thinking that process through and lo and behold thankfully there was enough copper wire on there we could just lop off the fixture that was there and pressure fit something else that did have a 3 8 inch on there but that is the story of the unsynchronizable spigot wow um I, I don't even have any commentary for that. I mean, what are the chances that you'll never be able to find the exact spigot that you'll need unless you travel to Europe and go to 
Ace Hoodware <laughs> in in Innsbruck, Austria. <laughs> Dude, well, part of me had that in my mind. I'm like, should I just go to like Amazon.uk and order like an 11 millimeter fixture for this or something? But I'm like, no, what? then you're just compounding a problem for the next person or for yourself later on. Just cut it off and add a 3 8 inch on there. But yeah, uh, this house <laughs> is full of surprises. Like, for example, I think there, there are parts, at least, of the house that are built with two by sixes instead of two by fours. Which like no one would pay for two by sixes anymore. They're like they're super thick and sturdy. No, everyone's going cheap. So yeah, this is a tell you what, it's fun peeling back the layers of the onion of this house. Um yeah, I've 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 heard a lot of house improvement horror stories, but I've never heard of that where you're gonna have to travel to Europe to find that particular part. Yep. So for those of you that wanna help Reese in his tool time saga we're going to have to fund his trip to go to Europe and, and we can make it kind of a double trip where, you know, where the, uh, the uh, chiefs are going to play in Munich. So then you can cover the Munich game and then you can go to Ace Hoodware and get your, whatever you need for the spigot. So Reese, how can people fund your trip to Munich so that we can get you the proper tools? Yeah. J- just so you know, uh, go to, go to Ace Hoodware. I'm not a handy mensch kind of guy. That sort of a little weird. Uh, but if you want to donate on Patreon, <laughs> check us out at patreon.com backslash FCSM. We have access to special mini series, including season zero. Speaking of which, Armando, I had one of my uh, biannual listens of season zero, episode zero, which is not on the pod, which is not on <laughs> Patreon, but it could be for very good reason, but it could be. Uh, season zero, the last dance documentary and coming very soon. I'm putting the very final finishing touches on editing fast X from speedy and angry. Our 10 part in-depth deep dive into the fast and furious franchise. So if you are a Patreon subscriber, stay tuned. I know I've said it a few times. I mean it this time it's coming very soon. I'm done chasing down three eighths inch spigots that don't exist. Excellent. Thank you, Reese. And you, did you do a social media thing? Maybe do a quick social media oh, yeah. following. You thing? can check us out at, uh, at uh, Instagram as well. We're at uh, fountain city SM. We're posting fun memes, we're posting training camp updates, cheese preseason highlights, all that good stuff. Interact with us, you know, drop, drop a comment. Even if it's like something random, just so long as you're not a bot, you know what? No, even bots come, come post and comment. We'll like your, and we'll reply. We're a very interactive page. Oh, yeah. We'll reply. I'll message. Actually, someone Instagram messaged us. Um, they were taking pictures of training camp. And I think they wanted us to share the pictures, but they didn't say. They were like, I just thought you would think this is cool. Did we share them? And I, and I told them. I, no, I didn't share it. Um, just because I don't know how that works out, and I didn't know if we were getting scammed or oh, not. Oh yeah, scamming is huge. Um, they were cool pictures. Those there was there was like one picture of like Pat holding like Tyreek Hill's chest. Sorry, Tyreek. Um, tra- Travis Kelsey's chest, oh. but like in an endearing way. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, that's cute. I haven't seen something like that before. Um, so we do we do reply back to messages. I just didn't want us to like get arrested for having, you know, a picture that was made by an NFL photographer, and then you know we lose our money. Then we really have to grind on Patreon. But hey, hey, how about if uh, if if we get you know a thousand followers in the next week, I'll go ahead and post these controversial f- photos on Instagram. Controversial photos from the shower room. There's a hole in the wall where Armando can see it all. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, 
or I can just put like a fake TMZ tag so that it looks legitimate and it looks like true gotcha media. Oh, that's true. We need like an FCSM TMZ tag. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. I mean, because that will get the followers. Like, people love photos like that, you know? For sure. I mean, like, there's there's this other, there's this other, like, Chiefs media thing called, like, Starcade Media. Have you seen their posts? Starcade used to be a, a pay-per-view for WCW. That's all I know. Well, they're definitely, like, talk about Chiefs stuff, and they're, like, the TMZ of Kansas City when it comes to the Chiefs. <laughs> And like whenever I see a video of theirs, I just immediately keep scrolling down. I'm just like, that's not going to be a good video. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's already my job to get punched in the face by LeBron James, you know. So what's a little bit of gotcha media paparazziism, right? <laughs> hey, LeBron, is this your house? You probably know us from Fountain City Sports Media. But anyway, my name's Reese Talbot, and I'm about to punch you in the yeah, face. Yeah, unfortunately, we did not reach the stretch goal, by the way. So I will not be flying out to uh, Los Angeles to get punched in the face by LeBron. <laughs> or, you know, saving LeBron from getting punched in the face by me. One of the two. Oh, uh, that's too bad. Anonymous donor from from the, like, Miami Heat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's Dwayne Wade. Eric Spolstra. Pat Riley. Pat Riley actually hates LeBron in real life. I don't doubt it, dude. LeBron like totally undermined him. I think we saw now that like LeBron was holding Pat uh, Pat Riley back. Oh, yeah, dude. Spolstra. He like delayed Spolstra's development by like five years at least. I don't know. I don't want to. You know, this is a, another podcast for another day. But I, I get so frustrated with teams that just kind of give up after a couple years. And it's like that's not how anything works. Wait, like. You know, like, for example, this podcast. Yeah. Right. Like, we're, we're not giving up after year two. Like, we're no. just starting to cook. Oh, yeah. You know, we're like, we're like LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. They had four years and they were like, ah, eh, it's over. Yeah. Or like Kobe and Shaq. You know, they had four years. It's over. It's like, wait a minute. No, like, look, look at Magic Johnson. Look at Kareem. Look at Larry Bird. Look at McHale. Look at all these teams that played for like at least a decade together. There's so much more that can be learned, but. Egos are egos. Dude, what you gonna do? Lego my ego. Lego my ego and Lego my Ringo that we got from Phoenix. Oh, the Kansas City Chiefs go back to Phoenix and in great fashion thump on the Arizona Cardinals 38 to 10. Even though this is a preseason game, uh, the Chiefs had over 500 yards in total offense. Um, and then the defense actually played really well, too, holding the Cardinals to 286 yards and only one touchdown. So, Reese, let's go back and forth. What did you see from this game that you like? We might have like a, a quarterback debate, but actually in a good way. But yeah, what what jumped out on you for this game, Reese? Now, I have to preface everything in this podcast by saying the Cardinals are absolute cheeks. Like, they are probably going to be a bottom five team. It's, it's Caleb Williams season, baby. Right? They're going to be a bottom five team this year in the league, and we got to play their backups for a good chunk of the game. So the good news is, is we did not look like Cheeks against this team that does look like Cheeks. So what I wanted to see, you may remember, coming out of last week's just like absolutely first gear game against the New Orleans Saints was I said... I want us to come out with a little bit more urgency. I want to see some life on the defense so they can get things done, get stops. And that, you know, that was just them taking three-quarter reps and not just not being good at playing football. And lo and behold, that's what we saw in this game. A second-quarter touchdown by Arizona. But at that point, that game was already clearly going to be out of hands. We saw with the wide receiver room, people showing out and continuing to show out to the point that I don't think it's a bunch of fool's gold there. 
And also we saw the Kansas City rushing or uh, rushing attack kind of start separating themselves a little bit the way I wanted to see. So that's kind of what I saw in a nutshell, Armando. What did you see? Shane Bouchel can play. That dude can uh, that that dude can ball. Okay. Okay, so let's open this up with a conversation then of do we have a backup quarterback competition and controversy in Kansas City? Okay, so I think we only have a quarterback controversy because we know Andy Reid. And Andy Reid loves his vets. He loves a vet um, as a backup. If this was another team, I think it would be no debate that Shane Bouchelle should be... um, the backup to Patrick Mahomes, but because the system specifically loves a veteran quarterback, that's why Bortles is still in the converse or sorry, not Bortles uh, Gabbert. That's why Gabbert is still in the conversation for the backup for Patrick Mahomes. But if I'm not looking at an Andy Reid's like offense, if I just have the sound off and I'm just watching pure football, I love the way Shane Bouchelle plays. So this is what's so funny. You may have caught this when I when I talked about it on last week's podcast, but there there's nothing that feels better as a podcaster than when you hear somebody else on like another podcast or the radio days later just like vindicate and validate your take. So I said last week if I if it was a situation where we needed someone to come in and just kind of like land the plane and see where Patrick Mahomes was going to be after that game, I think Blaine Gabbert's the guy to do it. If it's a situation where it's like, Mahomes is going to be gone for four to six weeks, Blaine Gabbert's not going to win you more than 50% of those games. You know who could get hot and win you more than 50% of those games? Shane the Gunslinger Bichelle might do that. And lo and behold, on Arrowhead Pride, the Chiefs official podcast, like three or four days later... They have the exact same take. Gabbert seems like the steady hand, but Shane Buchel is the one to be like more Patrick Mahomesy in the way he plays. And we saw it last week, and we saw it again this week. Yeah, I, I, what I love that Shane Buchel does is he never gives up on a play where like Gabbert is the quintessential uh, pocket passer. Like he stays in the pocket. He's like, if I'm gonna get hit, I'm gonna get hit. But like Shane Buchel sees a rusher coming and he tries to make something happen rolling to the left or then trying to run i forget it he had the 30 30 yard run um towards the end of like or the first quarter um and that's what you want to see from your quarterback like you said especially if patrick mahomes goes out at some point and we do play a team like the ravens you know we do play a team like the bills where they have a defensive line that is just relentless you need someone that can you know make lemonade out of bad lemons and i feel like shane bouchelle has streaks of that and we saw him against you know the the first team reps of um of the cardinals and i actually reese i will say even though we think the cardinals are garbage i actually didn't I, I actually thought that their defense was okay. I think they had a pretty good pass rush. I like Buda Baker. I like Zaven Collins and thought he he made a couple of great plays as well. Um, Zaven? No. Was, the, was that the guy that we have? Uh, you thinking, uh, who are you thinking of? Hold on. Hold on. I'll, I'll stat this up. Uh, oh, they have a Juju as well. Juju Hughes. Yeah, it is Zayvon Collins. Who's the guy that we hate from BYU? Oh, 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 oh. Zane Anderson. 
Okay, way off, and we're good. <laughs> I was right. It is Zayvon Collins. I thought he made a lot of great plays. I think this Cardinals defense is underrated, and they could win a couple games just because of their defense. And I'm saying this actually to support the claim that Shane Bouchelle did play some some good first team reps against that defense. And I think I think he can make some lemonade out of some lemon. Reese, give me some Shane Bouchelle. For the 2023 NFL season. This is what makes it so difficult for me is that Buchel came in as the second stringer, which was interesting because before the game, it was apparently told that Chad Henney was not going to be playing in this game. So the fact that Buchel goes in as the second stringer is interesting, but then he goes 10 for 10, 105 yards, no touchdown, but a passer rating of 110. That's really good stuff. And myself, as long with everyone else, after watching him play was like, okay, he came in as the second stringer. He just did that. I think he just took the backup quarterback job. So then I don't know if they told Blaine Gabbert, go out there and fight for your job or what. But dude, Blaine Gabbert came out <laughs> and it's almost like they called a different playbook or they told him to just like take the blinders off. Because again, he wasn't being shoehorned into being a three-step drop You're quarterback. You're supper. Yeah, he played for a supper. You saw him rolling out. You saw him making some kind of like cavalier throws. And ultimately, he finished seven for eight for 120 yards and two touchdowns for a perfect 158 passer rating. So it's just like, dude, what's going on here? I thought Buchel literally just stole this and you come out with that? That's incredible. Yeah, I think because we saw two games of Buchel just like, be fearless and make some great plays in situational court and in some situational football. That's why I kind of have the edge over, um, over Gabbert. And like, we have film on Gabbert. It's not like Blaine Gabbert is, you know, all of a sudden this new transformed quarterback where Shane Buchel actually, he showed some stride last year as well. We just didn't have room for him. And he showed some and has shown some great confidence and some great progressions for these past two games. So I say give him a chance. Let's shake up this this Kansas City Chiefs offense. And instead of going with the old Andy Reid veteran backup, let's get some let's get some young blood. Now, Armando, do you like conspiracy theories here? Always. Well, not always. I shouldn't say that because then I'm gonna get aggregate with like Robert Kennedy Jr.'s voice as well so no Reese not always but I will listen to this one so there's talk that the reason that the Cardinals field is so bad is because their groundskeeper is actually from the UK so all the times they're telling him to use ounces he's using milliliters no I'm just kidding so (laughs) the the real reason I got it from Ace Hoodware (laughs) Ace Foodware Uh, anyway so Last year, you may recall, Shane Buchel was elevated off the practice squad onto the 53-man roster because there was talk that there was one team that was going to poach him from the practice squad, which is fair game to do with practice squad players. That's right. Now, do you know who that team was? Wasn't it the Vikings? The Arizona Cardinals. Uh With Kyler Murray currently sitting on the pup list and their backup, Clayton Toon, not showing me anything. Neither did David Blah or Colt McCoy. Do you think there's any chance that they put Shane Buchel out there to show him what they could do in hopes of the Cardinals potentially trading him for, say, a fourth or fifth round pick? I think if the Cardinals were serious about making some noise or like staying in contention, I think so. But I really do think they're going to phone it in this year and they're going to have Colt McCoy. 
honestly, I personally like Colt McCoy as a person and a football player. Like for him to be a journeyman is impressive. But yeah, he's not going to win a lot of games. So I would say if there was a hint that they might not be competing for Caleb Williams, but the Arizona Cardinals are in Vegas. They got like a whole bunch of chips in their hands. They're dropping it on the roulette table and they're saying, put it all on red, baby. All right. Put it all on red. Meaning Caleb Williams, sorry, not betting on their team. They are betting against their team, in fact. Dude, they better hope they can keep him away from the Rams, dude. They're going to be pretty turgid as well. I don't know, dude. Stetson Bennett. Ugh. Stetson Bennett, the my my dark horse for rookie of the year. <laughs> I can't even say what straight face. going to say, dude. It's like <laughs> Sean Clifford actually is the rookie quarterback who's balling out the most in the preseason. Could you imagine if Sean Clifford won? Sean Clifford with? He's with Green Bay. Interesting. I haven't I haven't seen a single Green Bay preseason game. Dude, could you imagine if Jordan Love winds up not panning out and Sean Clifford winds up being oh, that quarterback? It's very feasible. I mean, look, all these all these nerd boys are so cocky about their playbook. They're looking for the quarterback that will submit to their playbook and not to their ego. So eh, who knows? If Jordan Love has an ego and Clifford just can get the job done. With the with the nerdy boys, then maybe it might work. Dude, Clifford the big red fraud. How do you, how do, how do you like that, Goldilocks? <laughs> AKA David. Ugh. Well anyway, Armando, if you don't mind me transitioning out of here, uh, why don't we just go straight from the ones who throw the ball to the ones who catch the ball? Armando, it was a showcase from our wide receiver room against the Arizona Cardinals. Two receivers kissing the one hundred yard mark. Multiple other receivers registering huge chunks of yardage. What did you see and what did you like from the wide receiver room this game? I'm telling you, Jerry Rice's son, Rashid Rice, is the next. I just, I just wanted, I just wanted to make fun of you because I know you, you, you don't fancy so much Rashid Rice. No, 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 no. Again, if you go back and listen to last week's podcast. Go back to the tapes. Everyone, go back to the tapes. If you go back. Not only last week's podcast, but go back to like last month's podcast. Now, check the receipts. The game is what have you done for me recently? And recently I said, Rasheed Rice looks like he can ball. He's not a big body wide receiver, a little bit stockier than I thought he was, but not a big body. But I'll tell you what. Do you know who I just picked with my first round of the rookie of the or rookie draft in the dynasty draft? No, it's Rasheed you Rice, baby. Rasheed Rice. Well, here's what's so Holy funny. Molly, you are you are Arizona Cardinals all in on red at the Vegas roulette thing. Well, it's, all, there's all this talk of him being this huge jump ball downfield threat, but what I'm seeing is he's carving guys up in the short and intermediate. He's finding ways to get open, mm-hmm. and he's playing entirely different. Great route runner. Yeah, he's, he's playing entirely different than his scouting report would tell me. So eight receptions, 96 yards, 38 long. And, I mean, he was doing that with Buchel and Blaine Gabbard. So it's not like he just like had a rapport or a rhythm or like it was like feed Rasheed this game or something like that. Dude was getting open. Yeah, I, I, if if we compare him to last year's rookie Sky Moore, I think we're seeing more from Rasheed Rice than we did Sky Moore in preseason, which is which is actually pretty pretty hopeful because like Sky Moore saw um, some play in the Super Bowl and was able to make an impact. So if we use that as a barometer as what Rasheed Rice could be, 
he can be great. I mean, Rasheed Rice can be right away a wide receiver four, possibly. I don't think he'll be wide receiver three, but I mean, he can slot right in on day one and see some production, which is pretty exciting because again, freaking wild. But anyway, hopefully he sees some time to start with and can make a great impact. I love what I'm seeing. Not a lot of burst. I thought I'd see a little more explosiveness from Rasheed, but like you said, he's elusive. And he's a great route runner and he is able to, you know, break a tackle here and there, which is really important, especially when the Kansas City Chiefs offense seems to be getting smaller and not, you know, we're not seeing a lot of deep balls anymore. You know, we are seeing a very intricate offense, which Rasheed can plug right away. Yeah, I'm very excited about Rasheed Rice and what he's shown so far through two games. Uh, the, he hasn't gotten a lot of rep time in these games with Patrick Mahomes. So it's going to be interesting to see what his rapport like is is like with they could Patrick. be hiding it on purpose. It's very true. It's very true. I, from what I saw and what I've heard from training camp, it sounds like there might be a rapport with Richie James and Patrick Mahomes. But so long as he's not just like spamming one of these dudes, if he's like spamming the hot hand that game. I'm excited that it looks like we have probably three or four guys who might be like the hot hand in any given game. Mm -hmm. So like you said, you got to keep them guessing. Uh, Here's another surprise bursting out of the scene is former Iowa Hawkeye, Emir Smith-Marset. Great game. What did you think about his performance in this game? Yeah, you know, I'm not going to rank his performance ahead of a guy like Rasheed Rice and the moments that we saw Justin Ross as well. Um, I actually do want to talk about Justin a little bit more when we get there. But Marcet, I thought, had a really great game. I just, this this wide receiver room is so deep. I just don't know where we're going to carve a role for him. What What are your thoughts, Reese? Um, he's really interesting because he's another one that coming out of college, I just didn't think he was going to translate to the pros. I didn't think he was athletic enough. But... I mean, he's been on, this is his third team. He was with the Vikings for a year. He was with the the Bears for a year. And now he's with us. We acquired him late last season. He was someone we called upon when we were down to like our 15th string running or AFC (laughs) championship. He was, he had a reception or two. He he was playing some special team snaps. Uh, But to see him last game against the Saints actually have a few nice receptions. But then ball out in this game, four receptions, 92 yards. I mean, and again, it yeah, was that 44 yard bomb it Hit that 44 yard bomb. He seemed a natural. He was finding holes and coverages like running around that people. catch with that was called back. He had that 45 yard scramble too. that was called back. Yeah, which was a soft, soft penalty, by the way. Uh, but anyway, man, like I said, it's just making it so <laughs> difficult because outside of it's like I, I think there's three locks and four and a fourth probable in this wide receiver. Let's you, name them. So, so Kadarius Tony, MVS, Sky Moore are your locks, right? Agreed. I think Justin Watson, for experience sake and his utility purposes of doing the dirty work, I think he's a probable. I was, I was, I was gonna say, and I'll let you finish, but like we need to be talking more about Justin Watson. I mean, we already, we already saw him ball last year, and I think we're gonna see a lot more. Not that, not that he is going to be consistently the guy. But he may be our like sneaky Mike Williams. Continue. Well, that's an interesting take. We'll come back and listen to that. But I want to add, sorry, there's a fourth lock. I think at this point you can say Richie James is a lock for this roster. 
given what I heard at training camp, given the fact that I've heard he's been taking a lot of punt return reps. Yeah. So I think yeah. he's a lock. So he four locks, one probable in Justin Watson. That leaves realistically one, maybe two wide receiver spots that we got to talk about. Oh, Rasheed Rice. Oh my gosh. Blow this list up. Blow this list up. Let's start this over again, okay? Well, that's th- that. That's why I was saying, would you put uh, Richie James over Rasheed, even though we need Richie James as a punt returner? I, I think that's kind of the big question. I think they're br- they're probably both equivalent in terms of uh, needing the offense. So let's say Tony, MVS, Sky Moore, Rasheed Rice, Richie James, those are locks. Richie James is a, a lock for sure. I don't know. Richie James over Watson. Richie James over... Again, Justin Ross, my dude. I know we have the injury concerns, but what I... I I only needed to see two plays from Justin Ross to say he's the dude, to say he is him. Like, yes, I get all the concerns, but the risk-reward is huge. Well, don't get me wrong. I, I love Justin Ross and I'd love to see him make the team. What I'm getting at is I feel like we have probably two or three dudes that are fighting for wide receiver six, maybe seven. Andy doesn't keep six, let alone seven wide receivers, but I guess it's possible this year, he said. I know, so, but, I, but I just don't know if, if Richie James is a lock for wide receiver five. I... I think he's just because of his NFL experience and he's got a proven track record. We, we can mm. disagree on this. This is totally fair. I'm just, just from what I've heard in like training camp and stuff, like they really like him fair. in that return spot, especially since, and we'll get to this later, Daenerys Prince hasn't been showing anything. Uh, but Which is why which is why I'm not listening to training camp rumors. So this leaves us with, for potential wide receiver six and seven, you got Justin Ross, who we're both, we're both high on. He moved the chains in this game. Justin Ross, mm-hmm. Amir Smith-Marset, and Nico Remigio. Yep, and I, lo- I love him. I-, I know we're going to drop him, and he's going to go to like the New York Giants, and he's going to be the next like greatest wide receiver. I know that's going to happen, Reese. Dude, I'm just saying. he. I think they're stashing him on IR this year. He has that shoulder issue, and I think they know it's so deep they don't want to. And that counts? Okay. Yeah, so I think they're, they're doing an IR stash. So potentially six and seven could be Justin Ross, Amir Smith-Marset. And man, having seven wide receivers on the roster, but especially with our defensive line right now, we're like, we need Joe Schmo and Joe Schmo Jr. to be on that defensive line. It's hard. I, I think Justin Ross has the edge on Amir Smith-Marset. It's just so hard when he's been balling out in the preseason. It's like, people, stop being so good. Our cup just runneth over. Which is great. Again, I I, I forget this stat, but I believe that fifth, there were 15 different receivers that um, caught a ball against the Cardinals. No yeah. lie. No, 100%. 15 different people. Cornell Powell, Daenerys Prince, Blake Bell, LaMichael P. Ryan, Kendall Blanton. Dude, when when can can we talk about P Ryan? When did P Ryan become a thing, and why is he like the second string running back all of a sudden? You know what? Why don't we finish out this part of the podcast by talking about the uh, the running back room? Armando, what did you see from the running backs in this game? Okay, Reese. Well, this is kind of a two parter because I didn't get to talk about the first uh, the first preseason game. 
But we heard in training camp that Daenerys Prince was the dude. He was going to be the next um, Isaiah Pacheco. We, they were going to be the running back duo. Um, so I was really excited. And and I, everyone kept talking about they look the same. They It's almost identical. I'm sorry, but their body types are completely different. There is no burst of Daenerys Prince. I think I saw him break one tackle, but I mean, I don't know what happened in training camp. If everybody, you know, marijuana is legal now in Kansas City. So maybe, you know, maybe the sports supporters were having a great time during that time. But I don't know what they saw, Reese. This running back room is so confusing to me. Um, let's hope Isaiah Pacheco is ready to roll because, like, what is going on? Well, so just recently Isaiah Pacheco got the yellow practice jersey taken off, meaning he's a full contact participant again. So, Oh, great. Good. I'm going to guess Thank they're probably going to wean him in. You, you might not even see him in the third preseason game so they don't want to hurt that labrum again. Fine. But I'm Fine. glad we're on the same page about Daenerys Prince because I don't think I have a bias against him because last year we were both on the Pacheco hype train. So I want to be like, yeah, let's find another like seventh round DFA stud. But, but, uh, but he he looked good from day one. Isaiah Pacheco, I, I remember his first his first catch. I was like, this dude is, pa-. I mean, you and I talked about it on the podcast. This dude is pounding the ground when he runs. Daenerys Prince, none of that. Dude, I mean, Daenerys Prince... I say this about a professional athlete that could absolutely beat me up. Like he, I don't want to say he looks a little doughy, but like he almost kind of looks like some dude you see at the Y, you know, (laughs) or like, or like, this is like that movie that Sean Payton um, was based off of. And, and it was Paul Blart that played him. Like oh, that, yeah. That is the comparison of Pacheco and Prince. Like, it's that bad. Well, I mean, so, so we're talking this game. He had six carries, 20 yards, and a touchdown. Yeah, you know, I, I was always... Fine. I, I think I said this way back in our, like, post-draft podcast where I said, I think his best usage will be as a bruiser between the tackles back just because he doesn't have any burst. And yeah, he has, I guess fast top speed like once he gets to it but you know what's the point if it takes you 60 yards to reach your top speed but but i didn't see that also in punt returns which is why richie james is proclaiming that they gave Daenerys prince a chance and he failed yeah and you know it's hard for me to say because he's an undrafted free agent at tulsa you know who knows maybe maybe having like a full year with like chiefs training uh training staff and people like that they can like get him into like a really fast beater shape but uh, there was talk that Michael P. Ryan today actually just bumped Daenerys Prince's place on the depth chart, meaning we have Pacheco, McKinnon, I believe it, Ceh, and Michael P. Ryan as our one through four. But where did where did P. Ryan come from? Did I miss this news? Like, you know, like he's just like randomly showed up, and I was like, where where the hell did you come from? I, I gotta remember. I, I think we picked him up like late last year as some kind of a like practice squad depth before the playoffs. Because because P Ryan was was Joe Mixon's backup in Cincy, right? That was Samaji P Ryan. This is his cousin. Ah, uh, this is oh okay. Then I don't know much about him. But the thi- the thing I is, like, did, I was like, how did we get how did we get Joe Mixon's backup, and why is he playing forty five minutes in a preseason game? Well, the funny thing is, like you watch him play, they're two very similar style running backs, and that like Samaji P Ryan is a straight up wrecking ball. I mean, you saw him just like bounce Reed's head like a basketball the first game we played him last year. But dude. 
I'm kind of excited. I like what I've seen from P. Ryan in these last two games. I thought he was the running back that flashed the most in the first game. And in the second game, uh, you know, numbers never lie, my friend. He had six carries for 41 yards and a 6.8 average. You know, I kind of want to see him maybe as wider running back number three because it's now been two games where CEH has been featured as the number one back. CEH, four carries, 10 yards, a long of seven. You take away that seven, that's a yard per carry. That's CEH. I don't know what he's doing this high on the depth chart anymore. CEH is our Stefan Diggs right now, like, and in a and not in a good way. I mean that, like, didn't show up for the parade. So I'm thinking, like, cool, he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's going to hit the weight room. You know, he's going to get bigger. He's going to get faster. It's the same old CEH, if not worse. Like, I don't know what's going on there. So I agree with you, Reese. Let's put P. Ryan in that third position. Jared, I'm I'm so thankful Jared McKinnon's still here. I'm surprised he's still here. But, man, having him as that blocker and that catch passing running back, like, it's it's going to be huge for this offense still. Well, I mean, and it almost feels like CEH has gotten worse somehow just because it's like... I always had problems, but I felt yeah, like I, I I thought he I thought he had some burst and I thought he you know he had some muscle that that even though he was small it seemed like he was able to to break a tackle here and there. It's like I think he I think he's lost his mojo, Reese. I've never seen a guy that short and that jacked be so slow and so easy to take down. It's just it's mind-boggling to me. There's some there's a I'm this is kind of a tangent, but I'll keep it brief, but I just watched the uh, Johnny Menzel documentary. Oh, yeah. And these these wunderkinds from college really like and I'm generalizing I don't know CH at all but it seems like a lot of these wunderkinds like don't do their homework just are in an offense that are it's just perfect for them and then when they go into the NFL they just have zero work ethic um and they think that it's going to translate like John, Johnny Menzel logged zero hours on his iPad every week like just kind of just went with it because the offense worked for him. That LSU offense was a match made in heaven for CEH. And now that, you know, he doesn't have that and there's, you know, guys that are 10 years older that are grown men coming after him. It's just like, dude, I think I think you're done, bro. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, the fact that when he was at LSU, he had what are now the top two wide receivers in the NFL on that the best, team. Yeah, it could be the best offense in college history, debatably. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I think he was just able to have literally all the secondary pull their attention on those two guys. And CEH was just sitting there in the flats waiting for dump offs, you know? So exactly. Yeah. Middle, middle linebackers. Are they, are they going to worry about CH or they're going to worry about Justin Jefferson? You know what I mean? <laughs> I digress. Let me just say one quick thing and then we'll go to the beer review. Felix Anudike reminds me a lot about George Karloftis where it's like, we identify these guys that have a great motor that like, like these are unteachable things that they're just like, they're feisty. They can, they can really, you know, have a, have a good motor, but they don't get to the quarterback. And like, they're always a split second late and they don't give up on the play, which is great. Again, I love George Karloftis and I love Felix Andrew DK. I love those traits about them, but I'm just getting kind of concerned that like, they just can't finish. And that's pretty concerning, especially with the Christian. I'm sure we're going to talk about this later. But anyway, um, I, that, that's just something that I observed about Felix Anodike. I think there's potential there, but it's not ready yet. I, I agree. He doesn't look like he's going to be an every down defensive end just yet. And I do like your opinion of him being like Karloftis Jason, the sun and the moon. He's the more explosive athletic one. Karloftis is the stronger workhorse one. 
but both are missing a little something something they're both in real like they just can't finish and it's like ah yeah it's like they honestly should both probably be high second round picks you know not first round picks but you know well, well they're both still so young we can't rule them out just yet so we'll see what happens when they're playing you know games that well, matter after the beer review we'll talk about my panic meter with this defensive line till then stay tuned let's crack open that beer back we're about to do a beer review with the reese incarnate bach lesnar reese what are you going to be reviewing for us today eminently drinkable at 60 ibus this harmonious ipa was built to partner with food and friends a legacy combination of old school american hops with lively german and american newbies of course dry hopping catapults this unique bouquet to your nose Golden Blonde and 15 Degrees P camouflages a substantial 6.75% ABV. Substantial 6.75% ABV. Brewmaster Dan's riff on the American IPA tradition. Armando, as you may recall, I was in Wisconsin a few weeks ago. And in being in Wisconsin, I had to pick up some of that state's patron brewery beer that was not the Spotted Cow. So, being a man of chance and opportunities, I've picked up multiple wow. new Guerrero Spears to bring back with me. One of which oh, I have goodness. in my hand. This is New Glarus IPA. That's all it says. Wow. And for those of you wa- not watching at home, Reese soliloquied that eloquently uh, as an improv, he didn't read that off the can. That was just, he was so taken aback by the beauty of New Glarus that oh, that yeah. just came right out of the tongue. I just riffed that, baby. I riffed that from the whole thing. So, Armando, as I pour this into my glass, why don't you tell everybody how we review these beers? Wow. I'm just, I, I'm just so proud of you, Reese. You, you, you go from the enemy of the state of wisconsin and bashing new glarus any chance that you can to buying their beer and making it into a beer review i'm I'm so proud of you reese hey you know i'm pragmatic what can i say (laughs) all right as reese pours that into his beautiful glass uh we rate these beers from zero to ten with several different categories and the first category we review the beers for is going to be appearance so reese has just put that into a glass reese describe the appearance of this beautiful new glarus ipa wow he's pouring that like a scientist like isaac newton well in the baroque era Gosh dang, I hate that you call this a beautiful IPA because this 100% is a beautiful IPA. This is, hands down, without a doubt, the cleanest IPA I've ever seen in my life. I mean, look, th- there is no... Sh- hold on, that, that's condensation. That is, that is amazingly translucent. I mean, if I told you that was like a Pilsner, would you believe me? Yeah, possibly. The color's a little bit dark, but yeah, definitely. A little bit dark, very true. Good catch, good catch. Uh, but a nice foamy head very fine bubbles uh, a little bit larger bubbles in the middle but it's it's hanging out about an inch of kind of a inch of head on it uh the con- the bubbles why am i saying condensation the bubbles in the middle of the glass are coming up right from the stem dimple which is exactly how it's designed to be i mean i can i can read clearly through this beer this thing is beautiful uh gosh 10 on appearance 
Wow. <laughs> Reese can see clearly now the rain is gone. A 10 for Reese. The last time I've heard Reese do a 10 was when he was colluding for that Iowa beer that he did with Goldilocks himself. Dude, that's a delicious beer. I got one can of that left. You better believe I'm saving that. <laughs> And this is the opposite of collusion. This is brolusion right now. Uh, <laughs> brolusion. Uh, he's doing brolusion. He hates New Glarus, but now he loves it. Uh, ready for that tramp stamp of New Glarus soon. At 10 on appearance. Again, a very rare rating for Reese. Let's move on then to um, Aroma. Give that beer a sniff. And is it smell as good as it looks? Hmm. Definitely get some bitterness to it, like some of that old school bitterness. A lot of uh, a little bit of sourness to it too. The only thing I describe it to is it was a very definitive smell when I was a kid. Nickelodeon put out a toy called Gak. Do you remember that? No. It was like this. Is it slime? It, it came in weird varieties. Like I think the base one was a slime, but it also came in. It was like uh, like a bunch of these little like itty bitty beads that were kind of like in a slime together. It, it kind of has a smell. It reminds me of that. But now it's opening up a little bit more. It's going a little bit more dank. Like a little hoppier. Not a whole lot of fruit notes. Sorry, ho- not a whole lot of fruit notes on here. But it's a very subtle, faint. Yeah, you would guess it was an IPA smell. I'm going to say it's a eight flat on Aroma. Eight flat, still very good for Reese. Um, great. Then let's go to our favorite category, Reese. We have flavor. Go ahead and take a sip of that IPA and let us know what you think about the flavor of New Glarus IPA. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's tasty. I'm taking another sip of that. How the turntables turn, as Michael Scott says. The hops are nicely balanced in there. I definitely get what they're saying that, uh, it's a combination of kind of like old school and new school hops. I'd be really curious to see what's in there. Because it is very resiny. Like, it's, it's a very bitter resinous taste to it. The only fruit notes I'm really picking up would definitively be, like, pink grapefruits in there. But, again, it's not it's not like a fruity IPA by any stretch. But I think well-balanced is the name of the game. Uh, it kind of reminds me of a little less malty, a little bit sharper, bitter version of that Mirror Pond I reviewed a few weeks ago on this podcast. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. funny that a Wisconsin brewery is out west coasting the shoots of all people. But yeah, I would say overall, it does a pretty good job balancing the hop and malt. It's definitely more on the hoppy side of things, uh, which makes it you know interesting for an American IPA. I know those kind of tend to be a little bit more mild, but uh, I'm going to say flavor on this, 8.4. Another high remark for Reese. Excellent. Um, now, Reese, let's do mouthfeel. You've taken another sip of that um, because it maybe has some fruit notes, not a lot of fruit notes. Is it heavier than normal for an American IPA or is it light? What do you feel? Anyone who's ever had a grapefruit will totally understand me when I say not only does this taste like pink grapefruit, it gives you the mouth sensation of pink grapefruit. Uh, there's like a like a phantom limb of pithiness in my mouth. I think you're having an allergic reaction, actually. Oh, gosh. Where's my medical bracelet? Um, no, it's it's definitely very bitter on the sides of the tongue. Yeah, I mean, again, every sip, I'm probably now like six, seven sips in. 
it's not going away. It's not fading. So it's a pretty intense sensation. But I don't mind that. You know, I, I feel like far too many IPAs these days are just like assaulting you with everything. So you don't know what to pick up on. It's true. This is a very hop forward IPA. I'm picking up on the hops, both in the flavor and in the mouthfeel of things. So for that reason, it's not crushable. It's drinkable, but not crushable. I'm going to give it, let's give it another 8.4 on mouthfeel. Very few IPAs I've had are in the crushable category. So that's okay. Actually, the only one, I can't really think of one. I can think of like Dale's pale ale in the pale ale category is crushable, but yeah, this just is a thought. This is like a less malty Dale's pale ale. Like if you, if you like took some of the malt sliders mm. and moved it over into the hot bitterness sliders, I wouldn't say it's nice. all that dissimilar. Then I would like it because that's the reason why I don't like pale ales is because it is a little too heavy. It's a little too dark for me and less dank, but Hey, this may be the beer for me. Who knows? Um, and Reese, let's end the categories then with our favorite Stong's drinkability quotient. You don't like New Glarus. They're an enemy to you, Reese. But it looks like things are swaying in the other direction. Let us know how the Stonks have changed. Okay, so I don't like Spotted Cow. Let's clear the air. Spotted Cow is very fine. It is the most unspectacular beer I've ever had in my life. Uh, but we've reviewed some other beers in the past, like two women, you know, which I thought was a very good example of a lager. I brought some back with me from Wisconsin. Yeah, it still hits. It's still clean. It's still delicious. Now, another big new Glarus beer, Moon Man Pale Ale, I thought was watery and weak. And I was like, oh my gosh, is this brewery like, do they really not know what they're doing? Do they just get like lucky sometimes? But going back and having this IPA tells me. No, they know what they're doing. There's just things they do better than others. So I have to tell you, a lot of the beers I've had are very clean like this. So their brewing method, they produce very clean beers. I have to give them hats off for that. That's great. I don't think they nail every style as I've kind of been back and forth on some. Uh, but it makes me want to go to their tap room, which is good because New Glarus, Wisconsin is en route to Madison the way I go. So I'm going to have to stop in their tap room and just be like, I've eaten. I'm sitting down. I'm trying a bunch of their different beers and finding out what they're all about once and for all. So for that reason, Stonk's Drinkability Quotient, saving the franchise with this installment, uh, I'm going to say 86 Wow. Not one rating under eight. An mm-hmm. amazing feat for Reese, who is the enemy of the state in Wisconsin. He seems to now be the hero. And just in, the Wisconsin mayor, Mr. Cheesehead, is giving Reese the keys to the city. Congratulations, <laughs> Reese. Dude, Wisconsin is this beer. Yeah, I, I think uh, the Wisconsin beer scene is something I would love to talk about more on another podcast because I think it's a bit of an enigma and I, I, I can't quite figure out if they're good or not. Yeah, other than other than Chicago, it is tricky to assess the northern states. Like even Minnesota. Minnesota has a couple like really good breweries, but where they stack up totally in the totality of American breweries is not like in the top three, you know what I mean? So it, it's curious because like there are diamonds in the rough, but generally the northern states, it's kind of like, eh, 
Which is weird. It's like maybe they all just moved to Michigan because I know Michigan has no shortage of like high quality breweries, you know? So that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Illinois and Michigan, you're right. Interesting debate to have for another time, but let's debate the panic meter of our defensive line as we talk about the Chris Jones saga next. Stay tuned. redemption beer review where he has made amends with new glarus reese can we as you made amends with new glarus can we make amends with chris jones nope it's over (laughs) great well and that's the (laughs) podcast thank you and go chiefs no uh, at this point i think the spectrum has shifted to the fans being you know, it's going on what now? Three months since we've been having these contract debates. It's quite a while. Yep. I would. Yeah, pretty much since the Super Bowl. When it started, I think the fans were firmly at least ninety percent on the side of pay the man. And just as this has pay drug that on, that needle is slowly but surely moving over into like the fan apathy levels for him. Especially with his most recent tweet today. I don't know if you saw. Like, he's kind of been doing some... Yeah, I was like, it's out of my control or something. Well, and he said, people said, well, when are you going to come back, Chris? And he said, week eight, which we all know is the last week he can show up. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. So... Oh, shoot. So even if he's joking around, it's like, dude, at this point, no. Like, we're not in the mood to hear these jokes. You've been holding off from training camp. You've been holding off from the preseason. Last I checked, you still have a year on your contract saying you will play for the Kansas City Chiefs. Not I will sit out and pout and wait for a new contract. Yeah, Reese might. Unfortunately, I, I didn't actually I didn't hear that. I saw a tweet that he put out of like what looked like a coffee stand of like if you go to a coffee shop, they put like quotes and stuff. And it said like this is out of your control. Um, you shouldn't have to worry about it. Is I'm kind of paraphrasing it. But after hearing what you just said, my panic meter is very high, Reese. If, if we don't have Chris Jones until week eight. We know Chris Jones is one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL, if not the best. We also don't have a Charles Amenehu, right, until week six, I believe, is his expansion. Yeah. And then I just talked about Chris Jones, and I just just talked about Felix. They're good, but can they carry a defensive line with a Mike Dana, with a Tershawn Wharton, against a team, you know, with, with a guy under center like Aaron Rodgers in week four? Or a Josh Allen. I forget when, but that's early in the season as well. Very concerning. Very concerning. I my my panic meter, if Chris Jones is not pulling our chain and he is gonna drag this out till week eight, panic meter might be at a eight point five out of ten. What I'm most interested in is how did he go for like go from I'm a chief for life, Chris Jones, to this this yeah. guy who's obviously not meeting the team. Now, you know, I must be siding with... And how much money are we talking about? How much money is on the table? I don't understand. Yeah, that's what's so interesting is that we haven't heard any word of like what these contracts have been that they've been offering him. Again, I would like to believe they're offering him $27, $28 million a year. I think that's kind of what people were... And if that's the case, then then we're talking about a couple million dollars difference. Which, again, possibly. 
with him racking up all these fines, and if he's racking up, what is it, like 500K a game? Yeah, I think it's more than $2 million at this point for missing training camp. Yeah, so it's like, dude, if you, if you wind up losing close to $5 million, I'm like, that's the difference between $28 million and $33 million for a year, dude. So I don't know what's going on, and if maybe this has just been his entire character this whole time, but I think what hits me on such a personal level on this one, I know I'm sounding very acerbic and bitter like the IPA I'm drinking right now, but what frustrates me so much is that this is now probably the second Chiefs defensive legend in the last five years or so where it seems that it's a player that could firmly cement themselves as one of, if not potentially the best Chiefs defensive player of all time. I'm talking about up there with or dethroning Derek Thomas, only to sour on the fan base at like the 11th hour. I'm, of course, talking about the Eric Berry situation when he was coming back right. from his Achilles, the day-to-day thing. But I will give him a bit of a pass because that's a dude who mentally had to overcome leukemia and a year rehabilitating an Achilles tendon before blowing it again. So it's like, at that point, he might just be like, dude, it's not, it's not in it. I'm recovering from some stuff. I don't know how to say this. But what's Chris Jones's excuse? That's what I don't get. Yeah, I, I, again, if we're talking about a mere three or four million that he's going to lose anyway for not attending, I really don't understand, unless his agent just really has a stronghold on Chris Jones if he's told him look this is going to not only um, affect you but this is going to affect every defensive tackle and you present the league like he could that could be an argument I'm not sure Reese but I'm going to segue a little bit out of this Reese I'm going to I'm looking at the first seven games that we play and if you if we have a defensive line that features George Karloftis and that's kind of our guy do we beat a Aaron Rodgers in week four? Like I said, do we beat even a Kirk Cousins Vikings team, right? If we don't get pressure on him, do we beat the vengeful Russell Wilson Broncos? Do we beat in week seven, a Justin Herbert, you know, a new revamped Chargers team, assuming that we don't have that pressure anymore through the middle? Well, here's the thing. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Jets, I'd give you probably the best chance on in all those teams because it's coming out of training camp that that offensive line is huge dookie. So that might actually kind of yeah. negate itself. Plus, he's old. That was actually in, in, in hard knocks. I actually enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kirk Cousins, again, he's he's faster than Joe Burrow, but he's not the most mobile quarterback out there. And again, no disrespect to their offensive line, but I don't think there's anyone being like, oh, no, we're facing the Vikings offensive line. You know, they're competent. But the rest of them, like you said. Yeah. But 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 I, I mean, I mean, a Kirk Cousins that may not have any pressure, right? That can just sit in the pocket, find his reads. We know, you know, we know he's a smart player, just doesn't have to make lemon out of uh, lemonade out of lemons. No, I'll just hack his brain coder and tell him to throw it to the guys in the white jerseys. <laughs> must throw to them well hey so here, here's the thing going back to what you said about his agent i wonder if you're actually on to something because nick jacobs tweeted this out he's a uh, chiefs insider he said mm-hmm. yeah he's great on twitter c- catch this players on an active nfl roster represented by the cats brothers those are chris jones agents chris jones mm-hmm. jody fortson keith kirkwood 
Alamade Zacchaeus, Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle, Shannon Sullivan, Jordan Mason. Now, outside of the obvious of three of those having connections to the Chiefs, what did you catch about all those players outside of Chris Jones? I don't know. They they play in the XFL now. Like I'll probably see them at UNC. Exactly. Ex- you hit the nail on the head. It's a bunch of scrubs outside of Chris Jones. This is is their cash cow. This is their golden goose. This is their only player they're going to have a big chance right now to cash in a big contract. Interesting. So I think, I do think that's interesting. You know, like, what are they saying in his ear? Are they saying, like, we're not going to let you sign with somebody for less than, you know, Aaron Donald money and you're going to hold out and all that stuff? So I don't know. I wonder what connection Chris Jones has to it, especially, and this is actually especially relevant with not only the reply he made on Twitter, but the post he made on Twitter about this is out of my hands. Dude. Like maybe the, maybe the cats brothers are like, we're going to give you the most money you're ever going to get in your entire life, but leave it to us. Stay out of it. Don't talk to Andy. Don't talk to Pat. Stay, play some video games. We'll figure it out. Conspiracy theory. Number two. I'm glad you said video games. The cats brothers spell their names. K a T Z. Out of Chris Jones' hands. Dude, these are the Mad Cats controllers. And it's completely out of Chris Jones' hands. They are the, they are the singing waiters at the Cats Deli in New York City. Oh, so dude. Re- then your panic meter, not as not as high as mine then, huh? Um, no, I, I... This defense as a whole, especially this defensive line, loses a significant punch without Chris Jones. I am in no way saying that we are better on defense or the line without Chris Jones. That being said, I have no faith that he's in football shape right now. Even if he came back tomorrow, what's he going to look like in week one? Spags came out and said that keep him on kind of like a pitch count week one and week two if he came back tomorrow just because, again, he hasn't seen football action since we won the Super Bowl. So I'm just mad because he's, he's holding out. He's really only hurting himself, but inadvertently, he's hurting the defense and the team by not being able to gel defensively, and I, I just don't know where this came from with Chris Jones, and it's upsetting. Well, we'll keep our eyes on the situation. Fingers crossed that he actually does show up, and he's just posturing, but he shows that one on that week one, because that could be the difference for you know a, a seven-point lead that the Jets may have, or the Vikings may have, or the Broncos may have. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that. Reese, as I'm looking at the schedule, I'm looking at the ticket prices as well. Can you tell me which game um, is the highest ticket price like base? And it's by over $100. You, t- you talking a home game, away game, or both? It's an away game. Um, I mean, highest by base, is it probably the Germany game against the Dolphins? Oh, darn it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. I thought, I thought that would be harder. <laughs> I was gonna say, hold on. Non that that's an extemporaneous circumstantial game, though. That's in Europe, you know, that's a worldwide ticket market as opposed to a domestic ticket oh, market. Oh, actually, I, I bet that, that you won't get the second highest game. Hmm. It's it's at it's it's it it's an away game. Let me see. Chiefs. Um I'm going to guess. This is based on vividseats.com. I'm going to say not Jacksonville. Jets are maybe. I would be shocked. I'd be shocked if it was the Broncos or the Raiders. Um, 
I'm going to guess the Jets. Well, color you shocked, Reese. It is the Raiders. It's the Raiders? It's the Raiders game. I think it, it's during Thanksgiving weekend. That's why. Oh, I completely forgot about that. Right. Like, who in Vegas is going to pay $245 during Thanksgiving weekend? It's so dumb, dude. It's so dumb. You heard I was going to say, my, my, my mom would be so upset if I wasn't home for Thanksgiving weekend and I went to Vegas instead. And right? I paid $245 for my ticket. 245 for the nosebleeds. Man, I'll tell you what. Uh, Semi-golden age. I know the economy's changed. I know the Chiefs have definitely changed. My first Chiefs game ever. Uh, I wanted to surprise my then-girlfriend, now wife, with a Chiefs game. And I'm like, what would be a good game to take her to? And looking at ticket prices that year, I'm like, oh, wow, the Broncos game is 66 bucks. That's expensive. So instead, I got a season-ending Chargers game at home for like 33 ahead. But can you imagine thinking 66 ahead was expensive? I was going to say, I think we paid the, the Chargers game we went to, I think it was 50 bucks. Something like and that. I remember yeah, at that point being expensive for, for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, well, I know. I, I don't know when I'm going to get to go to an NFL game again. Donate on Patreon. I mean, maybe. Remember, uh, remember that game you, me, and Stat Kyle went to, and like we had his dad's ticket as an extra ticket, and it was, it was, I think it was like, a, oh yeah, did we not, we didn't pay, right? Or maybe we did. We didn't pay. No, his his dad was supposed to come down, but he didn't want Kyle to have to cancel on his behalf, so he's like, just take the tickets and run. So we sold the dad's ticket, I think, aftermarket for like twenty five bucks right before kickoff. But there was like that grandpa who was like trying to like get a free ticket for his grandson. Remember that? <laughs> what you don't remember that like we we, we were kind of like you know we're like hey ticket for sale ticket for sale like how much do you want and we're like well it's listed like face price is 120 we're asking 95 and he's like 95 he's like come on it's just kind of like dude what do you want like these are nosebleeds you're not gonna find cheaper than 95 for this thing was was i already blitzed i don't even remember that at all uh considering <laughs> this was the day we recorded season zero episode zero is very possible very likely don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, I was not driving that day. <laughs> no, I was, and I was uh, the responsible one that day, and it was still a fun day because it was my buddies, but yeah. <laughs> it was a monumental day, just like it is every day with my good friend Reese, the incarnate Bach Lesnar. Uh, anything else we missed, Reese, before we, we cap off? Nah, uh, fun episode. Thanks for uh, another week of excitement, Armando. And I can't wait until Chiefs season kicks off. It's going to be great. Excellent. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, as we finish off the preseason, getting ready for the opening season. And don't forget, we still have to do our fantasy, our fountain fantasy draft. So I'm sure we'll give you updates on all that as well. A lot of drama to ensue. So stay tuned. Follow us on all the things. Donate on the Patreons. And we'll see you next week. Go Chiefs! We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at FountainCitySportsMedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. Fountain City Sports Media.